Well, hey, Harvest, how are we doing this morning? Awesome. Well, so good to worship with you this morning. My name is Jake. I'm the 20s ministry pastor here, and I absolutely love my role at this church. Love our young adults. Any young adults in the room this morning? Awesome. Awesome. Um, Well, I'm excited to be here and to kick off this new series called Proverbs, Insights That Express Truth for Godly Living. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there. We have ushers come up the aisle here with Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and just raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, just go ahead and keep that. That's our gift to you. Well, my wife, Leah, and I, we have three kids together. And one of the things that I love about parenting young kids is that you get to see the evolution of a bad idea, right? From the moment of its inception to its completion, you get to see the full life cycle of a bad idea. Any parents in the room see some bad ideas in your day, right? A few of us. In fact, I would argue that 63% of parenting is just keeping your kids from their bad ideas. You know what I'm saying? We were recently at the Imagination Station, which is kind of a park near the YMCA in Grand Haven, and they have this huge net that kids can climb. And once you're at the top, it's like 15 feet off the ground. And my son, Blake, who's four years old, loves this thing. Like, if it's slightly dangerous, he's into it. And so um, here's um, the funny thing about this is that um, Blake will climb up this thing often. But there's one particular day where he climbs up to the top, says, look at me, Dad, I made it to the top. And I said, son, I'm so proud of you. And then he kind of looks at me, and he looks at the ground, he looks back at me and just kind of smiles and says, Dad, I'm going to (laughs) jump. Now, there's one thing that you have to know about my son. When my other kids were saying their first words, they were saying mama and dada, right? Pretty cute, pretty normal. When Blake said his first word, it was no, and then it was no way. True story. So when Blake says he's going to jump, there's a good chance that he's going to jump. So immediately, I'm off the bench. I'm pleading with my son not to follow through with this really bad idea. Son, look in my eyes. Listen to my voice. Consider another way down. Do not follow through with this really bad idea. What am I doing? I'm pleading with my son to consider a different way because I know the end is dangerous and painful. I have what he lacks, which is perspective and insight, how life actually works. And in many ways, this is how the book of Proverbs opens. It's a father pleading with his son to consider wisdom as an alternative path to foolishness. Solomon, king of Israel, writes the first nine chapters of Proverbs as an earnest appeal to his son to value wisdom, to seek it out, and to practice it in everyday life. Here's the hard truth this morning. All of us have bad ideas. All of us make foolish decisions. It's been said that we make over 35,000 decisions a day. What are the odds that a few bad ideas turn into poor decisions? And when we make poor decisions, we see the mess that it creates in our lives, don't we? We feel the negative impact in the, in the things like our relationships, our finances, our health, our careers, and even our world. Your decisions matter to the heart of God. 
why you do what you do matters because it's a reflection of the type of person that you're becoming. There are thousands of decisions you make every day that either lead you down the path of foolishness or down the path of wisdom. As we begin this series in Proverbs, we need to evaluate our decisions. We need to seriously and carefully evaluate how and why we make our decisions. What we're trying to evaluate is the motive of our hearts. And so here's the question I want us all to wrestle with this morning. How do you measure the quality of your decisions? How do you measure the quality of your decisions? How can you tell that you're making a good decision from a bad one? Well, there are two primary ways that we measure our decisions. One leads to the fruit of wisdom and the other pain of foolishness. And what Solomon introduces in the first few verses of Proverbs is a framework for making decisions that we see throughout the rest of wisdom literature and scripture. If anyone has authority to write a book on decision making, it's Solomon. Solomon is considered the wisest man to have ever lived. During his reign, Israel flourished in their economy and society. They were wealthy, influential, and had peace. There were no major wars fought during their time. People from all over the world sought Solomon out for his wisdom. Of course, all of this is the fruit of Solomon's wisdom and the favor of God. And it's hard to relate to this version of Solomon. But the Bible tells us that Solomon's prayer for wisdom came from a place of inadequacy. God visits Solomon in a dream, asking him, what should I give you? And Solomon's response is honest. He says, God, you've made me king of Israel, but I feel like a child. I don't know what I'm doing. There's so many people and things that I'm now responsible for. So here's what I ask. Help me make good decisions. Help me lead your people well. Now, this is a prayer that many of us can relate to. Some of you are praying this prayer right now because of a situation in your life where you feel inadequate. You know you are in a situation that you do not have the wisdom to address. You're not sure what the next step looks like. You're not sure whether to engage or to pull back. You don't have clarity on how to handle the situation. And this is what makes wisdom so compelling. Wisdom is good news for people who feel inadequate. Wisdom helps us navigate the gray areas of our life. Life is unpredictable, relationships are messy, and some situations in our life are complex. The key to wisdom is going to come down to the quality of your decisions. How do we do the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right motive? That's wisdom. And so this morning is about building out a framework for making good decisions. What Solomon helps us understand in this passage is that all of us have a way we make our decisions. It's the operating system that runs in the background. It's how we qualify each decision. So if you have your Bible, let's read this together. Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to see Solomon's framework in verse 7. Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. What's his goal in writing? Well, look at verse 2. 
to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Here's the invitation for all of us. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now here's the framework in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon introduces two ways in which we qualify our decisions. Foolishness and wisdom exist on a spectrum. And the quality of your decisions is going to determine which path you take. In the end, the difference between wisdom and foolishness is going to come down to how you measure those decisions, the framework you see throughout the rest of Proverbs. So when it comes to wisdom and foolishness, everyone gets to choose which path they're on. If you couldn't choose between wisdom and foolishness, then this book could not be written. Two paths are offered to us all, and we start moving along that path based on our decisions. So let's look at the first ones together. This is the path of foolishness. Foolishness. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what foolishness is. Foolishness is our attempt to live a self-directed life. Foolishness is our attempt to live a self-directed life. In 1952, the founders of modern humanism drafted what's called the Amsterdam Declaration. In it, they affirmed a few things one of which being no need for God or any source outside humanity to live an uh, an ethical, purposeful, and meaningful life. Humanism simply means that man is the measure of all things. Why is this important? Well, fast forward to 2023. What is the pervading cultural worldview? Secular humanism. It's a man-centered worldview that has no need for God and gives the individual the highest authority. And we live in a culture that encourages people to see themselves as the center of the universe. If you pay attention, you can hear the message coming from our culture. Be true to yourself. You are special. You are destined for greatness. Follow your own truth. Don't accept limits. Chart your own course. So for the self-directed person, wisdom doesn't come from outside of us. Wisdom comes from within us. How does the foolish person then make their decisions? By measuring their decisions against themselves and what they desire most. Anytime they make a decision, they will be thinking in terms of what's best for them. This is a gospel of self-trust. At its core, foolishness is the elevation of me. It's overconfidence in myself. And our culture exploits our sinful hearts to think and operate in terms of self, to elevate ourselves as the greatest good. What this means is that our opinions, judgments, and ideas take precedent over all others. Noting this me problem, author David Brooks notes that in 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors if they considered themselves to be a very important person, 1950. 12% said, yes, I consider myself to be a very important person. In 2005, they did the same poll for high school seniors, although this time it wasn't 12%, it was 80. This is before the iPhone and social media. I wonder what it is now. 
Here's the problem with self-direction. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Follow your heart. The heart is deceitful. Listen to yourself. Desperately sick. This is the place that we're supposed to go for wisdom and insight to turn inward into our own hearts. When we don't fear the Lord, what happens is uh, foolishness accelerates in our life. When we create a reality that's independent from God, we are living as fools and wisdom becomes impossible for us. This is a discipleship issue because many of us will make decisions based on what suits us best, not necessarily on what God wants. Is it possible to be a disciple of Jesus and have areas of your life where you are making foolish decisions? Absolutely, it's possible. But here's what that means. It means that this is an area of your life where you are not living under the fear of the Lord. Those are, those are the areas that God actually wants to address in your heart and in your life this morning. Every area of your life needs to come under the reality and lordship of Jesus. If Jesus is Lord of your life, he must also be Lord of your decisions. So the foolish, foolish person we are most concerned about this morning is the fool inside of all of us. If you're like me, there's a certain level of foolishness that I'm willing to tolerate in my life. Last night, I got home from church and I was tired. Instead of making real food, I decided to pull out a bag of my favorite potato chips, okay? And Lee and I were watching a show, and I'm eating these potato chips, and pretty soon I looked down, and I had eaten the entire bag of potato chips. Serving size says eight. Eight chips, enough for eight people <laughs> by myself. And I'd like to tell you that this is the first time it's happened to me. But it's not. This is like the fifth time it's happened to me. They're just so good. Listen, there are certain things in our lives that we know are foolish, yet we tolerate them. Why is that a problem? Well, every decision you make accelerates the type of person you become. The more you live and make decisions independent from God, the more foolish you become. So how do we know if we're living a self-directed life? That's a great question. Well, there's three ways that you can tell if you're living a self-directed life. The first is this, follow your own advice. Follow your own advice. What's the goal? To know wisdom, instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So it's not that the foolish person doesn't know wise counsel. It's that in the end, they value their own advice even to their own detriment. One of my responsibilities uh, at church is pre-marriage counseling. And man, it's such a fun role that I get to do to walk with couples as they um, take steps towards being married. And I love watching couples seek to fear the Lord and to honor the Lord with their relationship. It really can be uh, an amazing and meaningful time. I love this part of my job. And before we start counseling, I'll usually say something like this. What we're doing in our time together is that we're contending for the long-term health and joy of your marriage. We want what God wants for your relationship. And most couples are like, yes, we want that. 
But occasionally I'll have a conversation with a couple that goes something like this. They say, hey, we know what God's word says, that we are to honor the Lord and to yield our sexuality to him, but it's just easier and more convenient for us to live together before we get married. So that's what we're going to do. So it's one thing to say, hey, we didn't know that this was a problem. We want to do the right thing. We want to honor the Lord. Can you help us with next steps? Absolutely. Because this demonstrates a desire to please the Lord. That's ignorance. We didn't know. It's another thing entirely to say, I know what God wants, and I'm going to choose what I want instead. That's arrogance. We know what's best. What are they doing? They're following their own advice. They're making a decision independent from God. It's devastating. What they think is going to help their relationship actually only hurts their relationship in the end. This is the definition of foolishness. Knowing the will of God for my life and yet choosing my own advice instead. In that moment, I'm not interested in pleasing God only in pleasing myself. It's foolishness to follow our own advice. What about you? Is there an area in your life where you're following your own counsel and your own advice? You know what God's word says, but you're just interested in doing what you want. Maybe it's in the way that you spend your money. Maybe it's in the way that you parent your kids or love your spouse. Maybe it's in the content that you watch. Maybe it's in the way that you handle relational conflict. Is there an area in your life where you're following your own counsel? Here's the other sign. Be unteachable and unreasonable. Another way that you can tell if you're living foolishly, be unteachable and unreasonable. The invitation in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. When we elevate ourselves and our opinions, we become unteachable and unreasonable. There's an old American proverb. Maybe you can help me finish it. It goes something like this. You can't teach an old dog new what? Tricks. Why? Because the dog already knows everything. The dog has seen it all. The one thing foolish people lack that is required for wisdom is humility. Humility is the awareness that there's a lot that you don't know. And a lot of what you think you know may be distorted or wrong. Foolish people are not open to reason or sound teaching. They hold their reasons, opinions, and ideas with a closed fist, even when confronted with the word of God. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud... You cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see anything that is above you. Pride and ego will make wisdom inaccessible for you. Overconfidence in yourself is a recipe for foolish living. When we believe the gospel of self-trust, we have nothing left to learn. And finally... How do we know that we're living foolishly? Despise wisdom and instruction. It says fools despise wisdom and instruction. When Solomon says that fools despise wisdom and instruction, what he's saying is they hate being measured by something or someone greater than themselves. 
Foolish people hate being instructed by someone else. They hate correction or wisdom that comes from sources outside of themselves. They are too smart, too good, or too busy to be held accountable to something outside of themselves. I think this is why some people will attend our church, but will never join a small group. Instead of seeing community as a means of God's grace, they see community as a threat to their current lifestyle or decisions. The truth is, we actually need community to expose our foolishness and our selfish hearts. When was the last time that you were corrected or given good counsel by someone else? Maybe it was your spouse, a friend, a coworker, a small group leader. How did you respond? Were you teachable and open, or were you suspicious and defensive? How you respond is actually going to tell me a lot about the framework in which you're operating under. The truth is, our foolishness needs an interruption. In the end, what makes us foolish is our attempt to live a self-directed life independent from God. The more decisions we make under this framework, the more foolish we become. We need an interruption. When I went to college as a freshman, I was no longer under the authority of my parents. And so what I decided was, what that means is, I can do whatever I want, essentially. And so I did. And so I made a lot of foolish decisions my first semester in college. Really dumb decisions. I'm staying up late. It's 3 a.m. I'm going to Taco Bell and hanging out with friends, right? I'm playing video games. We're like running around on roofs at the school. Just don't tell the school. Like, we're, doing, we're pulling pranks. Um, but what I started to realize is that those decisions had consequences. I started missing class. I started oversleeping. I no longer studied or did my homework. And pretty soon the semester ended, and I found myself back at home for Christmas break. And I remember my dad sitting me down at the dining table, and he sort of tossed this piece of paper to me. You know what this is, you know what this is, right? And I'm like, what's this? So I look at it, and it was my GPA for that semester. One semester, I went from a 4.0 to a 2.7. I'm feeling the full weight of my decisions in that moment. And my dad, he didn't even need to ask me what happened. We didn't even, we didn't even talk about it. But he just looked at me and said, he said this, he said, Jake, you need to figure out the type of man you want to become. Man, I am so thankful that my dad decided to interrupt my foolishness and called me back to the path of wisdom. The gospel of Jesus is the great interruption to the gospel of self-trust. We all have to recognize that our sinful nature keeps us foolish. It keeps us self Reliant. And the good news is that God made a way for us to experience his wisdom through relationship to Jesus. He reshapes our hearts and lives to live under the fear of the Lord. He is the one that makes it possible to know the will of God and to live it out in everyday life. This morning, we want God to interrupt our foolishness. Amen? 
Ask God to evaluate your heart. I'm reminded of of David's prayer in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is our prayer this morning. So how do we move from foolishness to wisdom? Well, it's going to come down to how you understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord ultimately is what will shape our wisdom. Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what comes into your mind when you hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord? Does this mean that we're supposed to be afraid of God? We're supposed to feel guilty? That we're supposed to hide from him in dread? Although we see that response in scripture, that's not what's in view here. The fear of the Lord is making every decision knowing it is measured against the will of God. This is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is making every decision knowing it is measured against the will of God. You are not the measure of all things, but you are being measured. This is why theologian Karl Barth once said, I have read many books, but the Bible is the only book that reads me. Living in the fear of the Lord is embracing the reality that everything is about Jesus, not you. The Bible says Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is the center of all things. God, in his infinite wisdom, made a plan for your redemption and used the best possible means to accomplish that mission, which is the death and resurrection of his son. Jesus is the wisdom of God made known to foolish people. So wisdom doesn't come from within ourselves. Wisdom comes to us through relationship with God. It means that if you are in Christ, he's freed you from the foolishness of sin. We are all born proud and selfish, making life all about us. The wisdom of God reshapes us for humility and wisdom. When we fear the Lord, we are no longer operating in terms of self, but we are operating in terms of relationship. I want what God wants. I want to honor him. I want to be taught by him. I want to turn from my sin for him. I want to submit my way to his way. There's this Latin phrase that captures this well, that church history uses to describe our life in Christ. And the phrase is this, it's caram Deo, which means before the face of God. We were created to live all of life before the face of God, where we lay ourselves bare before him. This is the place where wisdom starts. You need wisdom. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Every decision we make, every motive of the heart, and every act is visible and known to God. So how do we get wisdom? Wisdom comes through proximity to Jesus. Wisdom is not just about doing the right things. It's about becoming the right kind of person. And you become the right kind of person by living under the impression of Jesus. Wisdom will only take shape in your life so long as you're living in the fear of the Lord. So how do I know if I'm living in the fear of the Lord? Great question. Here's how wisdom begins to take shape in your life. Wisdom seeks to understand. Wisdom seeks to understand. Look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand 
words of insight. Foolish people don't seek to understand the will of God. They don't need to because the only person they're trying to please is themselves. People who are living in the fear of the Lord are committed to embracing what God wants in a situation over what they want. Wisdom seeks to understand the will of God by using the things of God. One of the greatest gifts to us to discern the will of God is God's word. Amen? God's word tells us what it means to have a relationship with him. It tells us what God is like. It tells us what God cares about. It tells us how to get along with others. Like there's so much wisdom packed in this book. So much of it describing what God wants for your life. He's also given us the spirit to empower us and help us live out the will of God. I'm convinced this is why Jesus models desperate prayer with his disciples. He's always praying. Not only do the disciples need clarity on the will of God, they need his strength to carry it out. So when we feel inadequate, we go to him in prayer. Lord, I'm feeling inadequate to make a good decision here. I have no idea what to do next. I'm actually afraid of how this situation is going to go down. But I trust you, and I want what you want in this situation. So, Lord, will you help me make a wise decision here? How does God answer a prayer like this? Well, the Bible says in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Jesus is not only our Savior and Lord, he is our counselor and friend. He loves showing us how to navigate the complexities of our lives. Jesus came to teach us how to do the right thing at the right time and the right way with the right motive. Here's the second thing. Wisdom does what is right, just, and fair. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. If you are living in the fear of the Lord, you will do what is right, just, and fair, no matter the consequences. Because wisdom comes from God, we may find ourselves in opposition to the values of our world. I don't want to be misleading Some of you are looking at the fruit of Solomon's wisdom and thinking, oh man, all I need to do is get wisdom and my life is going to be awesome. I'll be rich, everyone will love me, and I'll have influence and fame. Okay, so I would argue, one, that you're still kind of under the self framework, but I get it, right? Can I suggest another way? Can I suggest another wise man? Is it possible that Jesus is more wise than Solomon? Yes. And can we consider for a moment the path of wisdom Jesus took to the cross? A path that included suffering, pain, rejection. Wisdom does not guarantee an easy life with easy choices. Jesus was obsessed with doing the will of his Father, what was right and just and fair, no matter the consequences. Well, many of you will know that we took a team to Serbia uh, last week. And man, I'm just, anyone that was on the trip in this room? No? That's okay. Um, Such a great trip. Such a meaningful time together. Um, Man, we had such a great time as a team. And here's the reality. Um, I love going across the world and visiting our brothers and sisters and just seeing how they um, follow Jesus in Nova Sad. And what I loved is watching actually our young adults um, be 
involved and be on mission for the sake of Christ. Sharing the gospel, inviting people in, it was truly an amazing trip to be a part of. But while I was there, I had a lot of conversations with Gale, one of the pastors at this church. And we were sitting at a table and I was asking him what it's like to be a Christian in Serbia. He told me that to be a Christian in Serbia means that you are signing up for serious opposition from their culture. Many of the Christians that we talked to had given up something to follow Jesus. Out of the six and a half million people in Serbia, 5,000 are Protestant Christians. Many of the Christians that we talked to had been rejected by their family, friends, and co-workers. Why? Because the gospel of Christ was foolishness to them. them. And one of the things that impressed me most about this church is that they were joyfully living in the fear of the Lord. They were doing everything God has called them to do because they want to please him most, no matter the consequences. Here's the posture. Lord, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to trust you with the results. Living in the fear of the Lord means that we will seek to please him above all else. We'll do what he's asked us to do. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. As we journey down the path of wisdom, we will grow more and more confident in the face of opposition. Here's the third thing. Wisdom helps others obtain it. Wisdom helps others obtain it. To give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth, verse 4. There are two types of people that need help obtaining wisdom. It's the simple and it's the youth. People living in the fear of the Lord are eager to help train others to do the same. There's this pastor I really admire. His name is John Tyson. And he made a really insightful comment about parenting his son. And really, it's changed the way that I interact with my own kids, but also the way that I even see discipleship. He simply said this, don't blame them, train them. Train them. It's easy to spot the foolishness in other people and blame them for the way that their life turned out. But people living in the fear of the Lord are eager to help others obtain wisdom. They love helping other people learn what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. This is one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for our small group leaders in the 20s ministry. We were really intentional last year to find older people who are in our church who've been faithfully walking with the Lord over a, a a period of time, a long period of time, to lead small groups within our 20s ministry. And I love our young adults to death, but one thing many of them lack is perspective and insight. There's a lot of foolish decisions that come out in the context of small group. What our young adults need most is older people willing to contend for them and train them to live in the fear of the Lord. Truly wise people will be intentional to help others obtain wisdom. And finally, wisdom is humble and teachable. 
The invitation in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. What's the key to wisdom? Remain humble and teachable. This is an invitation to never stop learning. The posture needed to enter into wisdom is one of humility and teachability. I know that I'm living in the fear of the Lord when I can receive correction, instruction, and advice from others without getting defensive. People who are negative, fragile, proud, or defensive have not come to rest in the realities of who they are in Christ Jesus. People who are humble and teachable welcome interruption. They welcome the interruption to foolish living. Humility is how we begin our journey into wisdom, and it must remain a lifelong posture and attitude for us. If we never stop growing in humility, we will never stop growing in wisdom. The two are inextricably linked together. You cannot have one without the other. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to revisit our question. How are you measuring the quality of your decisions? Under the framework of self or under the fear of the Lord? As we begin this series in Proverbs, we're going to get a lot of practical advice over the next six weeks to help you live wisely in everyday life. But it's important for us to start out on the right foot. We have to know the why we make decisions. We have to take inventory seriously and carefully about why we make the decisions that we do. We see this throughout Scripture. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We must carefully evaluate whether we're living as wise or as unwise. And maybe as we've been talking, the Holy Spirit has been convicting you. It's been showing you areas of your life right now where you are being proud, selfish, or foolish. Are there pockets of your life where you are tolerating foolish decisions? What is God bringing to mind for you? Here's the question that I want to ask. What is one wisdom step that you can take right now to interrupt your foolishness? What is one thing right now that you can do to interrupt your foolishness? What is the step that you can take in faith and in obedience to God, taking a step towards the fear of the Lord and start living once again under him? God is incredibly gracious with us, isn't he? He's not surprised by your foolish decisions, but he's inviting you and pleading with you to choose the path of wisdom. Let's pray. Gracious God, we're so thankful for the truth of your word. We're so thankful that you invite us into an alternative to foolishness and that you made a way through the Son, through your Son, Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful that wisdom doesn't come through just practicing the right things, but actually comes through relationship to you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you give us the courage to confront our foolishness, that we would take a step 
today in the right direction, that we have the courage to confess sin, we have courage to talk to somebody, that we would have live in the freedom of wisdom. And so Lord, we just give this morning to you, we ask that you use it and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.